Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And I am excited to be back in action. Let's get <laughs> to some sagas, John. Excellent. I like this new gung-ho attitude. No, it won't last. I'm already tired. <laughs> Great. It's been a long day. <laughs> well, this ought to put a little pepper in your shorts. We're starting off the third quarter of our troll through the Icelandic <laughs> sagas with a bang. We're covering the amazing adventures of the Rube Goldberg of Saga Heroes, the strange steampunk saga of Ref the Sly. <laughs> the Rube Goldberg? Yep. Does anyone under 40 uh, know who Rube Goldberg was? Well, if they don't, we can devise a simple machine to help explain it to them. Ah. I'll need a hammer, four feet of string, a boxer's glove, a match, a balloon, and a hamster on a wheel. <laughs> All right. You clearly had that one teed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny uh, that you read, that. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Rube Goldberg machines. I'm actually mm-hmm. working on Rube Goldberg machines with my Cub Scout den. It's part of. Are uh, you? Yes, it's part of the Make It Move adventure. Nice. I like that. <laughs> we did uh, exploding sticks and levers and pulleys recently, all to set up mm-hmm. our next meeting where we will attempt to build an awesome Rube Goldberg machine that will undoubtedly fail miserably. Uh, you're gonna your whole Cub Scout pack is gonna absolutely plots when they discover the game Mousetrap. Somebody already made a Rube Goldberg device. I know. I'm sure that I'm sure that they know about it. If if I if I mentioned right, but but uh, you know the Rube Goldberg comparison is is a good one because there's a certain kind of ridiculous logic to the sorts of tricks that Ref likes to play, and mm-hmm. he's not really like any other saga figure as you'll you'll find out if you haven't read this before because you know the best way to reestablish what we do on this podcast is to pick the most atypical saga that we could. All right. Always keep them guessing. That's our motto. <laughs> uh, Andy, why don't you do the honors? Ooh, honors is a strong word. This time on Saga Thing, a lazy boy discovers his love of handicrafts and woodworking. There's no project too big or too small for Ref, and that includes killing a whole family. Trouble seems to follow Ref wherever he goes, whether he's in Iceland, Greenland, Norway, or Denmark. You can be sure to find a pile of bodies wherever he's been. But the staggering body count is only half the fun. Ref has a knack for working with his hands, and you'll be amazed at the crazy contraptions he invents to pull one over on the bad guys. Or is Ref the bad guy? Hard to say. Decide for yourself, as Saga Thing takes on the saga of Ref the Sly. Well, this is going to be a wild ride. Well, Ref's a strange choice for a saga protagonist. Uh, As you were just suggesting a minute ago, he'd rather concoct a complicated scheme or device to embarrass his enemies rather than actually fight them. True. Not that he can't swing a sword or an adze or a tiny spear with the best of them, but it's possible that this might might be the least Icelandic of the Icelandic sagas. Uh, it's like the, the least medieval of uh, it, the It really stuff that is, read. man. It, it reads so modern. Um, the only other sagas I can think of that compare would be the Vinland sagas. Uh, mm. Ref grows up in Western Iceland, but he leaves Iceland about a quarter of the way through the saga, and he never returns. Yeah, sounds a bit ominous. No, no, there's no subtext there at all. I mean, he just never returns. Instead, he lives in isolated places or under assumed names, trying to avoid trouble. But trouble has a way of finding him. 
And uh, saying that he lives in isolated places is a, an extreme understatement. <laughs> he, he really finds the nooks and crannies yes, of, of, uh, of, the, of the globe. Um, so yeah, anyway, we, we end up getting some pretty great descriptions of the physical places that Ref visits. And it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, and as we'll see, this is a story like Eric the Red Saga, right? Not everyone who moved to Iceland stayed there. There were plenty of potential places for a person with a working ship to go. The sagas usually focus on people whose lives center on Iceland, but there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see a number of parallels with Eric's saga, actually. Uh, but you mentioned ships, which is very important for this saga. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, but first, we should explain a bit about this story. So, Ref is a trickster figure, which isn't shocking given that his name is associated with foxes. Uh, but he's also a craftsman, and the work he does is sometimes unexpected. He's a, a trickster craftsman. This sounds promising. It does, doesn't it? Uh, first things first, uh, what do our friends in academia have to say about Ref the Sly? Well, they generally like it. And once you read this saga for yourself, you'll understand why. <laughs> it's a nice change of pace from the, the, the all the stuff we covered last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Craigie uh, calls Ref's saga a saga with some original and entertaining features in it. The story is pure invention, but rather oh. well told. And our old friend Jonas Christensen says... Croker Ref is pure fiction, but skillfully composed and very entertaining. Now, Ooh. that is effusive, especially for Christensen. I mean, yes. my goodness. Um, remember, <laughs> this is the guy who sneered at Gretter. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the important part to focus on there, though, is that Christensen and Craigie both call this pure invention or pure fiction. We're used to talking about the sagas as a blend of history and story, and this one is usually read as being just story. Yeah, just story, just entertainment. And it's not hard to see why. Ref is somewhere between a, a superhuman killer prankster and a, a steampunk carpenter. <laughs> I like that description. <laughs> he's, an, yeah. he's an outsized person, definitely. Uh, I think most reception of Ref's saga comes down to whether you think the author is being creative or credulous. In other words, does he know that the story he's telling is probably made up? Yeah. Uh, let's take Paul Schock's evaluation of Ref. The author was an excellent stylist and a master of the stranded plot. He was not well-versed in history, however, as we can see from his confusion about Norwegian kings and chronology. But his purpose was, after all, not to write history, but to write an entertaining story about a clever man. So he's also giving the author credit for inventing Raf, Mm -hmm. maybe without any meaningful historical tradition behind him at all. Well, and as we'll see, there are bits of the saga that might support a reading like that. Uh, but if these so- scholars are right, Andy, why are we reading this saga? Why is it even included in the sagas of the Icelanders instead of being listed among, say, the lying sagas? I thought the same thing <laughs> as I was uh, reading through the saga. But the uh, the short answer is because we made an arbitrary decision to follow the decisions that were made by the complete sagas of Icelanders collection. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I do feel like there's a less arbitrary reason as well, but we can save that for the judgment section. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last bit of housekeeping before we get started. The Hravenkel's measurement for this saga. Hmm. Andy, what would you guess this saga comes in at? I would guess that it is close to one Hravenkel. I'm going to go, I think it's slightly longer by a page or two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 1.1. Actually, that's not bad. The correct answer is yeah. 1.2. Damn it. I was going to say 1.2, <laughs> but I, I pulled back a little bit. Well. So close. Thing. Can I just ask you real quick? Yes. I seem to remember way back when we did Gisli Saga, and I just got done teaching Gisli Saga, so this is part of why I'm remembering it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gisli stays at Ref the Sly's house. Yeah, you know what? I look back at that, 
Uh, not him? I think it's a reference to it's a reference to the same stock figure, but it's not at all clear that it's the same guy. Well, given the way that this story plays out, right. uh, as our listeners will hear, uh, it can't be the same guy. Well, but I think it's I think Ref as a trickster figure is a kind of stock character, and he appears in Gizli Saga, or a ref trickster figure appears in Gizli yeah. Saga, and a ref trickster figure appears in this saga. And so to that degree they are linked hmm. uh, because I think they both well, reflect the same kind of trickster tradition. Well, if uh, he's got a, a wife in that one, I just didn't, I don't remember. I didn't look her, look at her name, but he's got a wife who has to sit on kind of Gisley as he's laying in a, yeah. in a bed. Yeah. She sits on him to hide him. I wonder if it's Helga, right? Since that's his wife in, in this one. No, but, no, but I think what I'm saying is that I think it's a, in, in the tradition, both of these figures are the same figure. They just aren't being portrayed as the same person, but it is the same person. You know, it's the same yeah, figure. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But enough shilly shallying, John. All this chatter about other sagas. <laughs> you ready to crack this book? Uh, I've always hated that expression. It seems like a terrible thing to I do to so. books. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you meant shilly shallying. I was like, how dare you? That's our favorite expression. <laughs> Um, are you ready to uh, gently open the books with great care to maintain the integrity of the spine? Crack away. Part one, Ref the Coalbiter. So Ref Saga is establishing its oddness right away here because this saga doesn't start with a massive set of genealogies. Well, we do get a little family information. Mm-hmm. It says, after introducing the kings of the, of the territory, uh, a man named Stain was living at Bredafjord. Mm-hmm. Stain was rich and an outstanding farmer. Thorgerd, his wife, was Oldleif's daughter, the sister of guest of Bodestrand. They had a son, Ref. You know, for a saga, that's very little to go on. It is. Actually, reading it out loud, it, it, it's it's quite minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and we also learned that the saga begins in the reign of King Hauken of Norway, the uh, foster son. Is it foster son of Athelstan? Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess we're somewhere in the mid-10th century. Yeah. But, I mean, for the sagas, this is like the equivalent of a character with no name. Uh, the family trees that give most saga figures context and definition are almost entirely missing. Well, this is some evidence right away for the argument that the author is more or less making up his story. It's set sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, but it's not like we get nothing. I mean, read the next paragraph. Oh, well, why don't we just read the whole damn saga? Oh, well. well. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ref was big for his age, good looking and hard to manage. He stuck close to the fire and did no more useful work than lolling about underfoot where people had to walk. His parents thought it a great misfortune that their son was unwilling to behave like other people. Most people said that he was a fool. Yeah. What we have here is a coal biter. Yes. You said that in the introduction a minute ago. You want to explain uh, what coal biter means? I know we've covered yeah, it before. I feel like we've mentioned it before. Uh, a coal biter yes. is a lazy person, uh, a lie by the fire, uh, usually a man, uh, a guy who hangs around the house, getting in the way without contributing anything to the work of running the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're usually irritating to their families and to the community as a whole. Uh, but as saga figures, they're a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a lazy person is all they are. But sometimes, especially if they're the major protagonist of a story, a coal biter is destined for great, great, great things. Think of uh, mm-hmm. of Alan Bowbender, for example. Right, or a Gretter. Uh, in yeah. those cases, they're avoiding work because day-to-day life bores them. Their community bores them. Right? They're waiting for something more exciting to come along. Like Beowulf, or Gretter for that matter, who are both classic examples of the coal biter in their youths. 
Yes. Or Holden Caulfield or sure. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. <laughs> uh, not what I was thinking of, but sure, that works. Uh, but Ref's more the the bored teenager type of coal biter. Maybe more that Ferris Bueller type. Not the animal-torturing sociopath type like Greta. Yeah, he is the one who murdered his father's geese and flayed a horse alive to avoid doing chores. Right. Well, so We should be clear that when we say great things for a coal biter, we don't necessarily mean a great person. Well, he is your thingman, you know. Well, so. and a fascinating literary figure when he's not torturing animals. Yeah. But the point here is that right at the outset, our author is deploying literary motifs rather than historical context for his story. It's a strong indicator that the critics are right about this being mainly an invention. All right. So Ref's a lazy kid, but he's just a kid at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, his father, Stain, has a problem with the neighboring farm, which is owned by a couple named Thorbjorn and Ronveig. Ronveig is stupid and domineering, as the saga mm. tells us, while Thorbjorn is a typical troublemaking type. He's been expelled from every other region of Iceland because of his unfairness and manslaughters, and he paid no compensation for any of the killings he'd committed. Well, that's not kosher. Refusing Definitely to not pay Iceland. Com- right. Uh, refusing to pay compensation for a killing is essentially a way of declaring one or more of three things. Uh, one, you think the person you killed and his family are undeserving of compensation. Uh, two, you think the killing was justified as compensation for some other act by the victim. Or three, you think you're above the law. Paging Hrofenkelgothi. Paging <laughs> Hrofenkelgothi. Uh, one of your thingmen, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he was, I chose the reformed Hrofenkel, mm-hmm. so. Sure. Yeah. There's another possibility as well. Someone like Thorbjorn might think of the law as retributive. Rather than prescriptive, you mean? Sure, yeah. The law defines what a victim's next of kin can seek as retribution for a killing, but it's still their job mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, no, there's a logic to that. Uh, Thorbjorn doesn't see the law as defining what he can or can't do. Uh, the problem with that for him is that it doesn't seem to be working out. He keeps getting exiled from different parts of Iceland. Yeah, but now he's Stain's problem to deal with it. Absolutely. And he is a problem. Uh, Thorbjorn's sheep are wading across the shallow river, uh, which is all that separates their farms. And they are grazing in Stain's field. And one morning, Stain walks over to Thorbjorn's farm to complain. And anyone who's read a saga or 20 knows how this goes. <laughs> uh, Poor little ref's going to be alone at the father-son picnic this year. Well, uh, maybe anyone should have read 21 sagas because Stain's going to be just fine. He's going to kill Thorbjorn? Way to go, Stain. Yeah, no, no, no. Nobody's killing anybody. Stain and Thorbjorn greet one another, and Stain says, You've lived in my neighborhood with me for two years, and our relationship has been good. Although it's generally said you're not a popular man. But now your livestock is straying into my fields and grazing on them. Now I wish you would remedy this, and have your livestock watched more closely than has been the case. It could fall out, since I am no liar, that men who quarrel with you will believe what I say. And in that case, I'll be able to testify that you have never dealt unfairly with me or wrongly desired what is mine. I love that speech. It's, it's, <laughs> it's quite a mouthful, but it's impressive. Uh-huh. And Thorbjorn, who is nearly overcome with sentiment, says that no one has ever been so moderate and reasonable with him and that well, this matter will certainly improve as you ask. <laughs> and it does. We're right back to right back to the voices, are we? Yes. <laughs> uh Thorbjorn Shepherd does keep a closer watch on the livestock, and there is no further damage to Stain's grazing fields. And that's a serious letdown. I mean, the, the saga just ends right there. So, like, well, you said it was going to be short, but uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can... <laughs> no. 
I, I think it's great for the milk of human kindness and all that, but uh-huh. this is not a great start for our body count, John. Oh, come on. It's nice to see two neighbors in a saga calmly agree to resolve a problem amicably. Just for novelty's sake, if nothing else. I guess so, but uh, there'd better be a pointless slaughter at the end of this saga to make up for it. Wait and see, I guess. <laughs> uh, besides, it's not like this is a permanent solution. Stain isn't long for this world. No. Thorbjorn just couldn't help himself. He really no, just no, gotta... no. No. Ronveig sent a farmhand on a little assassination no. errand a la Njall Saga. No. Is there is there a possessed cow involved? In... <laughs> no. What do we got here? Stain just gets sick and dies. <laughs> Dang it. That doesn't Nothing even count for body count. That's very disappointing. Sorry. Before he dies, he warns his wife to move away from the area because without staying around, Thorbjorn is likely to revert to his old ways and start causing trouble again. And with those rather ominous last words, Stain dies. And his wife promptly ignores her dying husband's last request. Well, it's a it's a very pretty farm. Uh, that's, it, it literally says that. She said the land was too nice. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and besides, if she moved, Raph would have to find a whole new fire to lie around next to. Ah, uh, poor guy. Mm. Um, but Stain was right about Thorbjorn. Yep. Pretty soon, Thorbjorn's livestock are back in Thorgird's pastures, and for two years, she has to put up with lower milk yields. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thorbjorn might like the idea of being treated with respect, but, I mean, there's a reason why this guy's been outlawed everywhere else he's lived. Yeah. So, Thorgird eventually hires a man, Barthi the Short, who's an expert stockman, and puts him in charge of the fields. Barthi has a shed built for himself at the bottom of the meadow, right at the edge of the river. And since he sleeps there at night, he can turn away the neighboring animals when they try to cross the river. And with his diligence, Thorbjorn's livestock are kept to their own land. Mm. You know what I love about the opening of this saga is the, the, the details of day-to-day farm life. Mm-hmm. And the effects of, of, of what your, your animals eat on your, your livelihood. Right. Right. Just I mean, interesting details. Well, especially when you can think about the fact that this saga is probably an invention. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very strange way to begin this story of a very odd man by telling these yeah. sort of these very prosaic details about farm life. Yeah. Yeah. So with with the uh the livestock being kept on their own land, it's mm-hmm. uh, Thorbjorn's household that's getting the lower milk yields for a little right, while. Right. Exactly. Uh and Ronvig, Thorbjorn's wife, is unhappy about it. She learns all she can about Barthi and then insists that her husband go and sort him out. Hmm. Okay. Now I want to come back to that. All right. Uh, well, the short version is that this time it's more or less what you were hoping for. Thorbjorn accuses Barthi of beating his animals and frightening them so that they don't give any milk. Uh, Barthi makes a veiled reference to Thorbjorn being a dishonest man and Thorbjorn kills Barthi with a single blow. There so, you go. Uh, what did you want to say about it? Well, that's one for body count. Um, there you go. But- here we have with uh, with uh, Ronveig mm-hmm. another example of cold counsel. Right. When Thorbjorn is on his own, he's presented as willing to listen to reason, but his wife's advice immediately sends him onto a violent and dangerous path, which is something mm. the saga implies that's her character. Right. Now that's fair, but I, it's not like Thorbjorn is a reasonable man on his own. He's willing to listen to Stain, but his own impulses aren't to have a friendly chat when there's a problem. I think they both fit a problem that we've seen before, a pattern rather that we've seen before. Hmm. Well, I mean, we could probably put this down to another motif of the sagas, right? I mean, this couple has a lot of precedence. Mm-hmm. A man who's bent towards violence finds a woman who counsels him to commit that violence. Would you say that's a very common pairing in the sagas? <laughs> I'd say it's pretty common when you're looking for villainous types to kind of run an episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why? No reason. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, Ref's mother Thorgard learns about Barthi's death and immediately starts shaming her son for not doing anything to protect the household. <laughs> oh, okay. That's cute. Yeah, yeah, mothers and sons can work this way too. Uh, remember Bergthora and her son Skarpe then in Yalsaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anything, mothers are harder to ignore, especially when a mother like Thorgard says something like, I shudder in my heart whenever I see you, <laughs> you disgrace of a son. How luckless I was when I bore you, you cretin. It would have been better if my child had been a daughter. At least then I might have married her to a man who I could rely on. Oh, the rest will make hard hearing, mother, if you're scolding. Be- I hate that voice for him. No. Uh, yeah, no, he's got to be sly. He's what, what, ref the sly. Yeah, what are we going to do now? with him? Uh, uh, noble but seductive. Noble but seductive. Yes. The rest will make hard hearing, mother, if your scolding begins like that. There you go. It, you know, it would take an exceptional saga figure to ignore a taunting like that from his mother. Well, sure. And Ref is exceptional, but his manhood is as fragile as the next guy's. So Ref grabs down some weapons from his father's collection, including a spear and an axe. Then he walks to Thorbjorn's farm, all casual-like. But several of Thorbjorn's farmhands see him and mock him. Uh, before he enters the farmhouse, though, he pauses, breaks off the bottom part of his spear, and throws it away. Hmm. I'd like to see this. I want to see that walk. Uh-huh. I'm curious about how someone strolls casually along with multiple weapons strapped to him. Yeah, it takes a subtle stride. It's all in the hips. <laughs> no, that's <Sashay>. golfing. <laughs> um, and that, that broken off spear, by the way, that's going to become Ref's signature weapon. We'll see that more. Uh, so Ref walks inside the farmhouse to where Thorbjorn is resting in a dimly lit bedchamber. He and Thorbjorn speak for a moment, and Ref asks for compensation for Barthi's death. Thorbjorn pretends to consider the request, but in the dark light, he reaches for his sword. He then offers Ref a knife and whetstone with his other hand, saying, One should offer an untempered blade to a softy. Ref leans in to take the knife and thrusts his shortened spear right through Thorbjorn before Thorbjorn can get his sword out. It's a great scene. (laughs) Yeah, this author really excels at creating these moments where we see Ref's situation from his enemy's point of view. Yeah. Ref's a trickster, so creating a a POV where where we're surprised by his actions along with his enemies does a lot of work in creating this unpredictability for the reader. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, It looks and sounds like Thorbjorn's got Ref right where he wants him up until that short spear pops out of nowhere. Oh, and, and you know what? There's more of that coming, and mm-hmm. it's, it gets better and better. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an interesting bit of business there. Ref breaking off the spear shaft seems incongruous until we realize that he's turned it into a concealed weapon. Yeah. In a way, we're left to underestimate him just as Thorbjorn does. Right. And this is this is our first small hint of the ways that Ref is going to be surprising people. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, he's invented the spear equivalent of a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, anyway, Ref uh, realizes that people saw him enter the farm. So instead of running home, he hides in a woodpile inside the house. Hmm. Thorbjorn's men enter and find Thorbjorn's bleeding corpse, but no one can find Ref's trail away from the farm, and so they give up the search for the night. Which doesn't mean that Ref's in the clear. Right. They know he did it, they just can't find him. Absolutely. Uh, but this buys him a chance. He sneaks out of the woodpile that night and makes his way home. His mother asks him if he managed to get any compensation for Barthi's death, and Ref responds with a verse. The squanderer of the sea's fire offered me a broad, untampered blade and a whetstone with it that was too little to take as compensation. 
So, with the wounding serpent in my hand, I probed the path to his heart, and I killed that free-spending man. Hmm. It's a bit on the nose, Ref. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> not, not really a great poem, is no. it? No. Uh, it's got a couple of decent kennings. Squanderer of the sea's fire as a sarcastic kenning for a generous man is nice. But nothing too impressive. Uh, Ref's creativity is in other arenas. Uh, it, it abandons him when it comes to poetry. <laughs> but we said that he's not in the clear. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't hear his fairly clunky poem admitting his guilt, <laughs> the farmhands did see him walk into Thorbjorn's house. Yeah. They know he killed him. Mm-hmm. And his mother knows that too, which is why she's already loaded two horses and readied them for a journey. Mm, time for a mother-son escape. No. Ah, that's a shame. It's nice to spend time with your kids, you know? (laughs) Uh, I don't think Thorgood is the nurturing type. Uh, No? The second horse is loaded down with valuables. Ah. She's sending Ref away for a long time, and she wants him to have some spending money on the way. She really loves that farm. She just doesn't want to leave. Oh, absolutely. It's a good... Hey, it's pretty. Uh, So the first leg of Ref's journey is going to be to his uncle Guest's home in Barthestrand. Part 2. Ref the Shipbuilder. So Uncle Guest is happy to see Ref, Mm -hmm. and once he gets the story of what happened, he's willing to shelter Ref for the winter. But it's pretty clear that Guest knows Ref's reputation for lazing around because he asks whether Ref has any useful skills. Ref, of course, doesn't. Oh, I mean, only if you don't count killing people as a skill. Sure, but Guest has something less destructive in mind. Mm -hmm. He watches Ref for a while and then declares that the boy is a natural craftsman. Which he apparently so he figures out by watching him sit around the fire. Yeah, right. He looks like he has, he's got good hands, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he arranges for Ref to have access to high-quality materials, a good set of tools, and a boat shed so he can start work in secret and asks him to make a ship for seal hunting. Yeah, Uncle Guest is spoiling this kid. He really is. I mean, he actually builds the boat shed for him. If you're trying to find out somebody's a craftsman, make him build the boat shed. Right. Well, and the Uh, list of supplies that he brings is just ridiculous. Oh, I know it is. Uh, But what's happening here is that Guest is stepping in to foster Ref. Mm -hmm. And he wants to give the boy the opportunity to find out what he's good at. That's right. Uh, Guest clearly feels some responsibility for Ref, which isn't surprising. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maternal uncles like Guest are really important figures in a boy's life in the sagas and Germanic culture in general. Absolutely. And with Ref's father dead, Guest steps in as a mentor to the kid. But he's not going to tolerate the coal biting that Ref's father looked the other way on. No, and, and he's right about his nephew. Uh, Ref mm-hmm. dives into the work, even building a forge so he can make his own ship's nails. Oh, sure. Uh, well, he's been given a garage and a chance to make his own hot rod. I mean, <laughs> that's right. Throw in, a, throw in a dance number and a rumble with a rival gang, and this is a 50s teen movie. Grease 2, Rumble in Bartherstrand. Wait, it, <laughs> there already was a Grease 2. Oh, Grease 3. <laughs> it, it, had, it had Michelle Pfeiffer in it. It was terrible. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Um, it would have been better with a Viking longship, don't you think? I, it would have been better with sock puppets in it. Uh, but while we're wasting, <laughs> while we're wasting time on unnecessary film sequels, uh, Ref builds his ship. It takes five months of work, but he builds an extra large ship that's fit for ocean travel. Yes, Guest has a spy checking on this top secret work, but mm-hmm. he doesn't say anything. Until finally one morning, Ref remains lounging in bed. And Guest asks him if the project is done. And Ref responds, You could say she'll float. I know I'll not do any more work until you've seen her. (laughs) Ref 
Ref seems to be reverting to his coal biter type, I guess. He, he's, mm-hmm. he's lazy by nature and he's slipping back into that. And and But if you give him a project, he's uh, he's he's right sure. on it. Yes. Once he gets started, there's no stopping him. The ship, so uh, they go out to the boathouse secretly because Guest doesn't want any witnesses if it turns out that Ref has bungled the job. So he doesn't have that much confidence in his lazy nephew. Yeah, not so much. Well, well, the good news is that when they get to the shed, they see a huge ship made with great skill. Guest inspects the work and confirms that the job is perfect. It turns out that Ref once made friends with a Norwegian boy his age who gave him a toy ship, and, and Ref's been using that as a model <laughs> the whole time. Of course he did. Uh, that's how I made my car, you know. <laughs> I, believe that. I believe that. Your car's a trash heap on wheels. Shut up. <laughs> thing is, yeah, there's not even an engine. <laughs> you ask your wife to push it. But I made it. <laughs> I made it myself. It's made out of soap. It's weird. <laughs> the, Carved the, it with a plastic knife. Yeah. The thing is that uh, Guest told Ref to make a sealing vessel, but the, mm-hmm. the toy boat was of an ocean going north, so that's what Ref built. Right. <laughs> and now at this point, Guest, in yet another display of generosity, now announces that he owes Ref months of wages for the works. But instead of money, Guest gives Ref the ship. Okay, Ref built a ship, and the payment for making the ship is the ship. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, oh, and when the word gets out that Ref has made a ship, everyone is shocked because, you know, most people in the area think Ref's a lazy good for nothing. Yeah. You ever wonder about that? What? About how word gets out on things like this? Well, I mean, it's pretty well established that everyone in the sagas is a gossip someone's always going to be willing to tell a story in exchange for a hot drink. Mm. Uh, besides, now that the ship's turned out well, Guest's probably going to be bragging about his nephew. But that's a problem, because Ref is supposed to be in hiding, remember? Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a problem. At least not yet. But of course, now that everyone knows where he is, there's no reason for Ref to stay in hiding. Of course, it doesn't seem that he ever was really in hiding. I mean, he's no. known around the neighborhood. People aren't surprised that he's there. What they're surprised at is that he's not as useless as they thought. Yeah. Well, it, it's true that everyone takes his presence in stride. I mean, now, at this point, the, the saga introduces Guest's neighbors, Sigrid of Lied and her son Gellir. Sigrid's a wealthy widow, and Gellir is a boisterous man who, who enjoys a good time. Oh, say. yeah, this guy. Uh, yeah, Gellir's a typical live-hard, play-hard, loudmouth. He's not really a bad person, but he's overbearing and loud. Yeah, and when he stops by the farm to ask if Ref wants to go to that year's Winter Games, Ref claims that he's not really a sportsman and isn't interested in going. Mm. So they argue for a little bit, and finally, Gellier challenges Ref to a wrestling match as payment for not accompanying him. Uh, I take it back. This is a little over the top. I'd forgotten about this. Yeah. Hey, speaking of over the top, Ref ends the match by tossing Gellier up and over... So that Geller lands on his back and cuts his elbows on the frozen ground. Really? Speaking of over the top? <laughs> I couldn't resist. That's what passes for a segue around here? I don't need a segue. <laughs> you, you throw it over the top. We're going there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just, I'm just trying to get the ref story going, though. Yeah. So Geller's upset about his skinned elbows. And uh, as ref walks away, Geller swings a spear shaft at him. It hits ref in the shoulder and the back of the head. But oh. ref just keeps walking as if he didn't notice. Now, of course, Geller's the kind of guy who's going to have a couple of drinks at the Winter Games and start mouthing off about scoring these unanswered blows on Ref. Yeah, of course he is. And like we mm-hmm. said, the grapevine, the, the grapevine in medieval Iceland is speedy and relentless. Yeah. And soon Geller's blow is the talk of the district. But Ref continues to act as if he doesn't know what's happening. 
Mm-hmm. Although he does start to prepare his ship for a voyage. Sure. You know, just giving it a nice polish. Mm-hmm. Just in case it has to go somewhere in a hurry. Uh, which is remarkably convenient because Geller's still annoyed about those elbows. Yeah, he sure is. And and one day he stops by the boat shed to see what Ref's up to. Which, let me just say, is kind of a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. Hello? <laughs> Anyone there? I just wanted to drop by in case anything interesting <laughs> were happening here at the boat shed. I'm not really here for any other reason. Yeah, I'm not buying it. And neither is Ref. Uh, he runs out of the boathouse with his ads and kills Geller with a single blow to the body. I'm sorry, he uses a, an ad, a what? Uh, an ads. Uh, it's a woodworking tool. It's it's like an axe, but with a curved blade that sits across the handle rather than along it. Uh-huh. Um, if, if you know what a mattock is, it's basically that, but with a sharper edge. Mm-hmm. It's used for hollowing out wood or stripping or smoothing it. Right. Or for killing an occasional enemy, it works... Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely still a weapon in the right hands. I mean, it's a sharp blade, it's a heavy tool. No, I get that, but, I mean, the problem is that it digs into Geller's body so effectively right. that Ref can't get it out in a hurry. And Geller uh-huh. had a traveling companion with him who sees this attack and, and runs away very quickly. Yeah, it's never a good idea to leave the witnesses alive. Yeah, well, remember, he was already shining his ship up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was planning on leaving town after this, I think. True. But he's definitely got to be moving along, right? Now, uh, Geller's friend is going to be telling everyone what happened, and Ref's likely to catch hell if he sticks around. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, People were sort of looking the other way at that first killing, but now it's Mm -hmm. starting to look like a pattern. Right. Whether it's his fault or not, this Ref kid just seems to attract trouble. Yes, he does. Uh, So Ref takes a somewhat hurried leave of his uncle, who asks that if Ref doesn't ever return to Iceland, that he should have his life story written down. Because it will be worthy of note. And? <laughs> well, and see, because it did get written down, in. Uh-huh, yeah, it did. That's not so subtle work there by our author. Uh-huh, yes. Uh, so, Ref and a crew of local farmer's sons set sail with their sights set on Greenland. Ah, Greenland. Last refuge of people who keep killing others and getting into trouble and <laughs> <laughs> leaving Iceland. Yes. Greenland! A nice place to visit when you've worn out your welcome literally everywhere else. Ah, it's got a ring to it. <laughs> you put get a brochure together. Uh-huh. I think we can uh, condense a bit here. Ref's uh-huh. a great shipbuilder, but not an experienced sailor, so he and his men's... The- wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh- Playing with a Norwegian kid's toy boat didn't prepare him for an ocean voyage? Surprisingly, I know. He, he sat in the bathtub and made <laughs> waves while it floated, but no. Uh, they get blown <laughs> off course, and they end up in an uninhabited area in northern Greenland, where they build a longhouse mm-hmm. to survive the winter. Yeah, plot point alert, plot point alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the next year they sail south. Uh, actually, they, they leave the boat there, and the, he builds mm-hmm. a ferry. Uh, and, right. and he uses that ferry to kind of go along the coast to sail south and then join mm-hmm. a community of expat Icelanders. And Ref ends up working in construction for a while, building a new farmhouse for a man named Björn and Björn's attractive and intelligent daughter, Helga. Yeah, now, it's obvious that the saga is setting Helga up as a match for Ref, and sure enough, they marry. So we won't – we'll just uh, yada yada that part because it's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Ref settles into life on the farm, and after Björn dies, he takes over running the place. Ref and Helga have two sons right away, uh, Stein and Bjorn, and all in all, things seem to be working out nicely. Uh, So that's our saga. Not a lot of drama, but a nice, happy ending. Mm. See, you're trying the same trick. It's not remotely our entire saga. There's lots of cool stuff. We do this all the time, and it never never works. Uh, But they seem like such a nice family. Can't we just leave them alone? 
No, because we would miss out on all the cool stuff that Ref is about to do. <laughs> but they do live on the farm for eight years, which is pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. But there is a problem just over the horizon. Literally there's, just over the horizon. There's right? this the neighbor. next farm over. Yeah. This neighbor, uh, he's a man named Thorgils Vikarskali, or mm-hmm. Scotley, and he has four sons, Thangil, Orm, Thorsten, and Ger. He also has a daughter named Olaf, who's married to a man named Gunnar. Yeah, that was a lot of new people all at once. Yeah. We should really warn people about a name dump like that before you launch into it. What, like a, a name dump siren? No, I mean, you, but you know, you're at a diner. The person brings out the silverware and whatever before the food comes out. So you know what's coming. What are you? I, I mean, you're in a diner and you've ordered. I mean, you're probably expecting food. It's not a surprise. I admit that. Mm, the, I think the silverware is already on. the. If you're at a diner, the silverware is just sitting there. <laughs> but okay. Uh, wrapped in a napkin. Anyway. Right. Uh, ignoring that you've lost your mind, this is a saga. Uh, shouldn't we be expecting the occasional rapid-fire introduction of new people? I think our listeners are used to that kind of thing. Touche. Yeah. So Thorgils and his sons represent a two-part problem for Ref and Helga's happiness. Right. Well, for one, Thorgils is a nasty piece of work. Yeah. Our author is given to editorializing a bit when it comes to the character of people in this saga. And he really indulges himself here. Thorgils was malicious, slanderous, and cunning. Mm. He was a very difficult person, and people thought it was bad to have to deal with him. What is with uh, Ref and his family always living next to these punks? I know, seriously. It's, yeah. you know, Look into the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, check out the school district before you buy. Yeah, Google was invented for a reason, Ref. Check it out. <laughs> the, uh, Give it a Google. Yeah. And the, the other problem is that Thorgil's oldest son, Thengil, mm-hmm. uh, had already proposed to Helga before Ref sailed into town. Oh. Or drifted into town, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she turned him down, you know? Yeah. So now she's married to this smooth-talking shipbuilder from Iceland, and that's not sitting well with Thengil and his brothers. Jealousy is such an ugly thing. Yes, we've seen that before. Part 3 Killer Ref. Hmm. That's a promising title. Well, I mean, the text is pretty clearly setting up a conflict at this point. You don't say. Yeah, Thangal Thorgelson and his family resent Ref for successfully wooing Helga when Thangal failed. Think back to Gisli's saga way back when, and we had that same problem. Gisli and Thorkel run to town, marry all the eligible women, and start causing all kinds of resentment in the area. Yeah. And now these brothers are just waiting for an excuse to strike against him. Exactly. And their chance comes one cold evening when Ref is on his way home from the boat shed. Uh, When he's about halfway home, he sees a polar bear on the headland ahead of him, and it's clearly caught his scent. I'm going to say two things here. Uh First, I don't know where I was expecting the story to go when I first read it, but I was not expecting a random polar bear. Right. Yeah, neither was Ref. (laughs) Yeah. He's unarmed, by the way, and he's pretty sure he can't win this fight uh, barehanded. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. I realize as I said it, just pretend it never happened. What was the second thing? Uh, The second thing was I I really didn't anticipate just how horrible what what they were going to do. Like (laughs) the stuff that they say about this man. Oh, I know. I know. It's just. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting it. That's all mm-hmm. I'll say. Well, let's 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 not keep the audience in the dark. Let's, uh, let's right. get on to that section. So, Ref is weaponless. Uh-huh. See how easy that was? Weaponless. Thank you. I, I like barehanded, but all right. 
<laughs> so is, is is this when we see that famous fox-like cleverness at work? He's going to burrow into the snow? And- Not really, no. <laughs> he just turns around, goes back to the shed, and gets his ads. We know he likes to use as a weapon. Right? So he's got uh-huh. something to fight the bear off with. What is it with Ref and his ads? Someone really should tell this guy about swords or, or, or just a plain axe. I agree. Although an ads might actually be a better weapon against a bear. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but when he but returns it's a marker to of his craftsmanship, right? He's always building stuff, right. which is important because it's building sure. towards him building stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to hollow out the polar bear and use it as a canoe. Uh, <laughs> if anyone uh, could, Ref could. Oh, sure. Uh, unfortunately, when he returns to the spot, he finds the bear is already dead in the middle of a bunch of churned up snow. From the evidence, it's clear that the Thorgelsons have killed the bear on their way back from fishing. Okay, so problem solved. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it means that the Thorgelsons get the bear meat, which was a nice score for them, and also a nice uh, hide. That's not all they get. Uh, Thengel spotted Ref's tracks in the snow. And when he tells the story to his father later, he, uh, we'll say he embroiders his narrative a bit. I don't think there's a fainter heart in Greenland than the one in the breast of Ref the Timid. He... Uh, met- a man's tracks run from the boathouse to the headland and back again. And there was piss splattered in the footprints. <laughs> and Thorgils replies, It's bad even to speak of such things. <laughs> and Greenland will always have cause to blush when Ref is named. But I'm bound to say, I've had little to do with him because when I was in Iceland, I heard that he was a woman every ninth night and needed a man. Oh dear. And for that reason, he was called Ref the Effeminate, and everyone told stories of his unspeakable perversions. Wow. That's my it's, Andy Rooney. Yeah. By the way. It's very <laughs> similar to my Andy Rooney. <laughs> yeah. Thorgill's Rooney. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been a while since we've seen insults on this level of viciousness. Uh, this is some serious calumny. Uh, in Iceland, this would be liable to legal action for slander. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we saw something very similar in Njal Saga. Thorgils and his sons are weaponizing nicknames as a way of shaming their enemy, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's very close to that uh, Njal the Beardless insult. Yeah. Uh, nicknames are fascinating that way. I mean, they really can like recode or reinterpret a person or, I mean, an event through communal judgment. In this case, um, this sort of hinting at Ref having had these, these unsavory, by Thorgils' standards, uh, sexual encounters. Thorgils and his sons can try to recast Ref as a sexually ambiguous or two-bodied figure, a man who becomes a woman. But the community still has to agree that that name has validity before it can take hold. Yeah. And that gives Ref a window of opportunity. Yes. If he or his friends can interrupt that process or prove it wrong, then his reputation and name can be protected. Sure. And the Thorgelsons are now publicly committed to defaming Ref. But it remains to be seen whether they can convince their neighbors to to read Ref the way they do. Yeah. Yeah. The effeminate insult also trades in a similar kind of homophobia to what we saw in Yal Saga. Yeah. Or maybe maybe that's too specific. It's less about actual gay panic than it is about attacking a man where he's vulnerable in, in his masculinity. That's a good point, actually. Um, and I think that sort of thing worked in Yal Saga. Right? Every time someone brought up that old beardless nickname, violence broke out as a direct result. Right? It's clearly mm-hmm. it was hitting on an exposed nerve, a sore spot. Even if Njal's friends and sons did manage to protect his name, they couldn't protect themselves from the violence their enemies wanted to provoke. Yeah, but that's where Ref proves himself to be a different sort of person than we're used to. Mm-hmm. 
he kind of like when he was walking away from getting hit by that that spear yep. um, back with Gair, uh, he just kind of acts like he doesn't know anything about the insults. Mm-hmm. He even ignores it when the Thorgelsons start spreading an additional rumor that Ref was paid off to leave Iceland because of a scandal caused by his sexual deviancy. Right. Well, I mean, we should say he seems to ignore it. Yes, that's but very important. he does start acting like he's expecting something to happen. He double checks everything on his ship to make sure it's seaworthy. He slaughters his livestock and sells the meat. And during that year's autumn harvest feast, he quietly sells all his land to his friends with a six-month delay before he has to vacate the farmhouse. Ah, see? He's liquidating his assets. Exactly. So the question is whether this is a sign that Ref's just anticipating trouble or that he's planning on causing trouble. And <laughs> I need I need to add here. Yeah. He's already in Greenland. I, where else does he have to go? I know. I remember Greenland is where Eric the Red went when he was out of other options. Yeah. And now here's Rev, and he still can't avoid trouble. Oh, my goodness. Uh, now, at first, doesn't look like he's planning on causing trouble at all. I and mean, some time passes without anyone making a move. And finally, after his father-in-law confronts Ref over the rumors that, quote, everyone has heard, Ref goes to his forge and makes himself a weapon. Hmm. Yes, it's quite a weapon. It's Mm -hmm. a spear. But we should let the author explain. It's a huge spear. Oh, okay. I can see why we needed the author for that. (laughs) (laughs) There's more. There's more. A huge spear. A man could cut or thrust with it. Mm -hmm. He fitted it with a short shaft, which he clad in iron. Mm -hmm. And then he sharpened the head to an edge that would shave whiskers. (laughs) It's a a strange weapon. But, I mean, that's sort of Ref's M.O., right? This is a kind of stabbing spear. Yeah, at least he's arming himself for once instead of getting blood all over his ads. Right. (laughs) You know, I keep waiting for you to make a bad ads joke and you keep leaving me hanging. (laughs) You just get used to disappointment, John. Oh, I did years ago. For the third quarter, I am going with a no pun policy. Uh, uh, Oh, really? Well, we'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) Uh, So Ref now heads to Thorgill's farm alone. And when he arrives there, he lets himself into the kitchen where Thorgill's is busy cooking. And introduces himself. Uh, and this, by the way, it's an interesting moment there where you get a look at sort of a household without any women, right? That that um, the the father is sort of home cooking while the sons are out taking care of the farm yeah. and taking care of things around the place. Yeah. Uh, Andy, shall we? Oh, is this a uh, saga thing theater? It's a, a bit of it, yes. Um, oh, I'll, uh, I'll take Ref. Uh, it's me, Ref. There's a lot of smoke in my eyes, so I don't recognize you. But you're, you're welcome. Well, thanks for that. I've come to ask compensation for the slanders you've uttered about me. When have we spoken ill of you? What is the slander you blame on us? I mean, which is either a stalling tactic or a bit of genius by Thorgils. Forcing Raff to repeat the things being said of him is kind of a way of reinforcing the slander. Yeah, he's just rubbing it in. Mm-hmm. But it can be both. He forces Raff to speak slanders against himself, but... That also buys him some time. Yeah, not enough time. Foreshadowing. Uh, well, <laughs> that's only because he pushes Ref a little too far. That I don't deny that we say many things as jokes, but it isn't lying because I believe every word of it is true. Now, it's it's hard to imagine not knowing that that's going to provoke Ref into revenge. Uh, but in fact, there's no need to waste time trying to imagine it because this is the moment when Ref stabs his short spear straight down and... Split him open down to the shoulders. Ah. Uh, Andy, that's quite a spear Ref's got there. 
It is quite a spear. Yeah, it's a whisker shaving sharp, remember? <laughs> but uh, ref's not done yet. <laughs> It'd be the worst commercial ever. <laughs> <laughs> my Ginsu spear is sharp enough to slice a man down to the shoulders and still yeah. shave my whiskers. Well, and given what he does next, uh, it's still sharp. Right. right. Yeah, because ref's not done. He walks down to Thorgelson's boathouse and hides inside until evening. And when the brothers return from fishing, the oldest brother, Thangil, opens the boathouse doors. Right now, this is the brother who is theoretically a romantic rival. Rival, admittedly, is a little strong. He's the guy who tried to marry Helga before Ref did, but turn, got turned down flat. That's right. Uh, but that's the least of his problems right now, because Ref's looking to test that whisker shaver of his. <laughs> and with one sweep of the blade, he he shaves Thangle's head right off. Oh, see? See? You weren't going to do any puns, you said. I knew it wouldn't last. What? You're setting me up for a close shave joke. Maybe, but you ruined the moment. Now it doesn't work. Well, I, we did forget to mention an important detail, which is that it got dark out while Ref was hiding in the shed. Well, we said he was there till evening. Right. But So it's dark enough now that the other Thorgelsons don't realize that Thangle's suddenly about 10 inches shorter. <laughs> Well, they're busy with the boat. Sure. And a second brother, Thorsten, he carries the oars to the boathouse, apparently without noticing his brother's headless corpse on the ground. Yeah, it's really dark out. Yeah, well, they don't have electricity, so sure. that's fair. Uh, and, and yet Ref's aim is unaffected, and the spear is still strong. Mm-hmm. He stabs his spear straight through Thorstein's midsection, fatally wounding him. Right, but unlike his brother, Thorsten's head isn't hurt, and he's able to yell out a warning to his brother's. Save yourselves, lads! Our brother's been killed, and I've been run through! <laughs> That's so convincing. And you can tell he's the <laughs> son of Andy Rooney. I mean, There you go, that's sense. what I was going for. Yeah. Now, now, what follows is a slightly confusing bit of text, but only if you're paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> text should not go- punish you for paying attention. <laughs> well, I had to go back and read this part a couple times, and yeah. it's only like a paragraph. But uh-huh. the, the remaining brothers, Orm and Gare, push back out to sea. And they sail around the headland to Ref's house, where they plan to hide in his boat shed. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but Turnabout is fair play. <laughs> that's right. But Ref jumps them there and kills them both. Right. So, okay, so you're saying how did Ref get there so fast? Is that why it's confusing? Yeah. Oh, I mean, technically it does say that Ref came and killed them. So mm-hmm. we don't have to, I guess, explain how he got there so quickly. And it is a headland, so he mm-hmm. could just kind of sprint back across to his farm. Right. We get a lot of these headland moments in Ref Saga where he's kind of sprinting across land or going around by boat and surprising people. That's not the part that strikes me as problematic. I mean, the brothers sailed around the headland and then hide out at Ref's boat shed. But they just beach their ship right there on Ref's property. How do they expect him not to see it? Uh, it's it's really dark. Out okay. or, I don't know. I'll I'll buy that it's head severed head concealing dark, but I'm not buying that it's ship concealing dark. But all right, with the help of the Thorgelsons making a series of not so bright decisions, Ref has managed to kill the entire family and avenge the slanders they spoke against him. Yeah, it's time to put down that stubby spear and relax, right? Not exactly, although let's just uh, keep track. That's five more bodies for yes, our, it is. our count. Yes, uh, it is. That's good. Um, now, uh, people do tend to get upset when you kill an entire family, so we need to hey, pause over that. I mean, these things happen. Do it's they? <laughs> Where? I mean, it's not as if, well, in Iceland. <laughs> Apparently. Um, well, this is Greenland, but yes. But it's, it's not as if the author ever asks us to explain this as a great loss. I mean, Thorgals and his kids are fairly rotten. 
Yeah. Well, oh, there's a second problem, which is mm-hmm. that Ref didn't kill all of his enemies. Oh, yes. Uh, Thorgils, remember, had a daughter named Olive. Uh, her husband, Gunnar, is going to be looking for revenge, probably with his wife sort of egging him on. Yeah. The good news is that, we, as we said, Ref has already planned to relocate. Anytime mm. he's working on a ship, you got to know he's sharpening his sword, too. <laughs> right. Uh, or shar- sharpening his spear or adze. Right. So he takes <laughs> his wife. His ads. <laughs> yeah. So Ref takes his wife, their three sons, Stain, Bjorn, and Thormod. Right. And they've had a third his- son in the while they've been there. Yeah, and Helga's foster father Thormod, all they all get on Ref's model boat, and they set off to sea, <laughs> and no one knows where they've gone. And the author just says, "And now for a time, they are out of the story." Yeah, which is, I mean, you know, to think that the 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 named figure in the story, the person the saga is named after, just disappears from this narrative for a while, is kind of odd. But no it's one in really the story knows where they've gone, right? I mean, but we yeah. readers might have an inkling. Since we already saw Ref building that home further north. Yes. Uh, but for now, Gunnar's combing the area and the population centers of Greenland looking for Ref's ship. And he can't trace them anywhere. And he spends a few summers searching before he finally gives up and tells everyone that Ref's ship must have sunk or broken up since he lacked the sailing men for the trip and no one's seen him. Yeah, Gunnar should have read the saga more carefully. Four, fireproof. Now, while all this has been going on, the years have passed. The Norwegian king is now Harald Sigurdsson, also known as Harald Hardrada. And King Harald wants to set up a new trade route with Greenland for walrus ivory and ship ropes. So he sends his loyal friend Bard to Greenland. All right. Walrus ivory makes sense, but why go all the way to Greenland for ship ropes? Because Crazy Thorsten's Discount Ship Rope Orium is having a Greenland-wide <laughs> clearance sale. That's not no, it. because because walrus hide makes excellent ship ropes. Yes, that uh, is the answer. And since the Greenland settlers are already killing all those walruses, they might as well make ropes too. <laughs> makes sense. Mm-hmm. The Greenlanders are commodities producers. I mean, that's the whole reason to go there. Um, so using as many bits of the animals they kill as possible is a good survival strategy. Yep. And it's also economically viable, mm-hmm. um, at least for a while. So Harold sends Bard to Greenland at this point? Right, yeah. And when he goes there... He, well, he, should, should we talk about the time problem here? Because I feel like there's a time what, problem. What What problem? Harold Hardrada is king of Norway from about 1046 to 1066. Yep. But this saga started in the reign of King Haakon foster son of Athelstan of England. Yes. It kind of, that's the first line of the, the text. <laughs> Hauken ruled in the mid-10th century, yeah. about 937 to 963. Uh-huh. So even if we stretch this narrative to its limits, that still means that Ref is in his 70s at this point. Right. <laughs> and that is a problem because uh, later on, it's going to be made clear that when Ref wants to disguise himself, he pretends to be an old man. Yeah. Well, and he also lives for, well, never mind, spoiler right, alert. Right, right. Um, I think we have to go back to Paul Schock saying that this author isn't well-versed in history. <laughs> no. This is the kind of thing that gives away the limits of the author's knowledge of history, or at least his interest in history. You know, I, I wonder if the, I know that the, the manuscript dates to the uh, the mid-15th century, uh-huh. but the portrayal of King Harold is like, he's the, the biggest genius that ever walked the earth. Oh, I know. We'll get there. We'll get there. Mm. 
I wonder. I just wonder about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I do think we see this as more evidence that this saga might be more at home among the legendary stories. Mm. But, you know, probably a little late for that now. Yeah, it's a little late for that, yeah. We're already in. No, we should just cut it. You know, we should be doing this one. <laughs> you son of a... Uh, okay, so before I was rudely interrupted... It wasn't rudely, was it was explaining that Bard sails to Greenland, and he arrives in Greenland about four years after Ref and his family vanished. Bard ends up spending the winter with Gunnar and Olaf, and it isn't long before they get to talking about Ref. Yeah, it's actually Bard who brings it up. Is it true that an Icelander here single-handedly killed a man and his four sons in one evening to avenge a slander done against him? Uh, something like that happened, yeah. And how did that turn out? <laughs> I gotta keep breaking out new voices to keep you off your toe, on your toes. You know? And what became of that man? We think he was lost at sea because he was so frightened, you see, that he sailed into the open sea at the onset of winter. He's so Jersey. <laughs> I suppose it seems better to you to say something like that when Thorgils and his sons are unavenged. Damn. Yeah. Uh, of course, there's not a lot Gunnar can say to that uh, because it's true. Uh, but to settle the matter, he and Bard agree to spend some time the following summer searching the fjords for signs of Ref. Now, here, here's what bugged me about this part. Mm-hmm. Bard comes all the way from Norway, right? Yeah. He lands in Greenland, and then he's going to invest his whole summer I know. going up and down the coast of Greenland looking I for know, some guy. I know, I uh, know. Why? Also, how does he know about the story about what Ref did? I mean, this is, you know, on more than one occasion in this story— Norway just seems to have this kind of omniscience about things that are happening in the Scandinavian world. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't understand why Bard knows this. And I don't understand why he's so interested. Well, they've got spies everywhere. Well, John. there you go. That is true. Yeah. That's that may actually be the point, right? This is just kind of the uh, the way that the Norwegian kings kind of keep their their fingers in a lot of pies, as it were. Yeah. I mean, I would love to do a new historicist kind of. This mm-hmm. is a historical moment. Norway, Iceland, really? No, I can't with uh, with this saga. It <laughs> Not with this it saga. Work. No. Uh, but anyway, the short version of all of this is that they find Ref's homestead in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. One night, after weeks of searching, the ship and crew are tied up for a night in a bay up north. Everyone else falls asleep, but Bard is awake and happens to be watching a clump of kelp floating by in the moonlight. And then it suddenly disappears into a hidden estuary. Right. Now that that club boy watching a clump of kelp in the middle of the night, that is <laughs> if that doesn't tell you about the limited options for entertainment in the in the Scandinavian <laughs> medieval world. <laughs> um, so this is uh this estuary is something that Gunnar missed. But I mean we should be fair to Gunnar and say that it's not that easy to find. See, I don't think we're meant to be overly impressed with Gunnar here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Bard gets lucky, but they wouldn't even be out looking if it were up to Gunnar. I mean, mm-hmm. For a guy with five in-laws to avenge, he's kind of a Bork the Stoutish, if you, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, well, I mean, you know, he might have been right. Ref could have been lost at sea. Uh, but all right. So Gunnar and Bard explore the side channel and eventually follow a trail back to a fortified building near the edge of the water. Mm -hmm. And this building is a work of art. Large and strongly built, 
They could not find one board overlapping another anywhere. All seemed to be made of one plank. And it's so well made, in fact, that they can't even find a door. Yeah, which is pretty disconcerting. I mean, it it just feels like an odd place, especially when Ref then pops his head over the top of the wall and casually asks where they're traveling to. <laughs> Out here in the middle of absolutely yeah. nowhere. And this is where you got the French knight from uh, Monty Python. That's exactly He's right. Peering up over the over the top, right? <laughs> well, this is when I really start to enjoy Ref because he loves messing with people, uh-huh. and he's clearly enjoying finally, finally having someone <laughs> stymied about this amazing contraption that he's built. Well, as long as he can enjoy it, right? I mean, Bard isn't one to mess around, so he immediately sets a fire at the base of the wall. He's not subtle. <laughs> no, uh, but the fire Barely keeps... Hello. Well, hang on, but the fire keeps going out. And after a few tries, they realize... And I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know how to build up to this. There are jets of water shooting out of the walls to put out the flames. <laughs> I don't know if they're jets, but there's definitely <laughs> water flowing freely out of the uh-huh. walls. Which, you know, y'all should have thought of that. Well. Well. Uh, there... They even try setting a fire against the top of the wall, but no matter what they do, water squirts out of these walls and puts the fire out. Yes. And in case that wasn't irritating enough, Ref maintains a polite interest throughout the proceedings. <laughs> he, he pops his head over once again. He says, oh, it's a shame. Is Wait, what? Oh, a- <laughs> <laughs> you're doing the French night? He used to be the French night now. He says, oh, it's a shame. Is the assault on the fortification going badly? Oh, he's such a smart arse. Uh I love him. Uh, Ref kind of reminds me of when my younger brothers were trying to get on my nerves when we were kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Except that I'm rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to. He's, yeah. he's great. Um, he's really come into his own, and this mm-hmm. is a scene where, you know, he starts that. Uh, I, I do think that this is also where we start to see the author sliding towards creating a kind of a too-perfect protagonist in Ref. Well, I mean, there is something to that. I do, I do think Ref has a flaw. He's not that concerned with his reputation or his masculine identity. But those aren't flaws that necessarily register as flaws for a modern reader. He's he's maybe a little too willing to allow insults against his manhood to go unchecked. And for a modern reader, that might be okay. I I think so. Although, you know, he's he's really, really coming out now as the Mm -hmm. trickster figure. Yeah. And once you're the trickster figure, all you have to do is come up with clever ways to defeat your enemies and everything else is fine. Right. So, all right. Ref has created... What is, as far as I know, the first fire suppression system. (laughs) And it's all in the walls of his fort. Yeah. uh, This can be hard to envision from the description, but fortunately we don't have to wait too long for an explanation. We'll we'll get one soon. But for now, Bard and Gunnar have to give up and go away. Presumably with Ref waving a cheerful goodbye. Uh, Thanks for stopping by, guys. (laughs) Don't step in any walrus dung on your way out. (laughs) Walrus dung? Well, there's a lot of walruses in the area at this yeah, point. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, the following spring. You ever been to Greenland? Right, sure. Walrus it's dung everywhere. Walrus dung as far as the eye can see. Uh, <laughs> so this next spring, uh, Bard returns to Norway, bringing gifts from Gunnar to King Harald, in addition to a ship full of Greenlandish goods. And uh, speaking of walruses, by the way, one of the gifts Gunnar sends is a scrimshawed and gold inlaid walrus skull with its teeth and tusks still intact. See what I mean? The place is lousy with walruses. (laughs) You know, lousy with walruses is not a phrase I was expecting to hear today when I woke up. You're welcome. I try. That wasn't gratitude. Uh, (laughs) Keep your walruses and their dung. Uh, (laughs) So Gunnar also sent the king 
a polar bear, because why not? And a, a well-trained board... polar bear. Yes, and a board just... game. You don't just send the king a polar bear. You got to train him <laughs> up first. Right, sure. You're a wild polar bear. You know, you're holding out on me here. What is this board game made from? Yeah, Share it's, with everyone. It's made from walrus ivory. Goo <laughs> <laughs> You presumably have a point with all this walrus nonsense. No point whatsoever. Uh, but it is <laughs> worth saying that Gunnar's uh, advertising Greenland exports with his gifts, I think. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what this whole saga is about. Mm-hmm. Is really yeah, like, I think it is. There's a Come to Greenland. You definitely get that impression <laughs> that the, the Greenland Board of Tourism was involved in the making of this saga. Yeah. We'll insult your manhood, but we'll send you <laughs> home with walrus tusks. No. We know King Harold is after walrus products, yeah. and Gunnar has been showing off the all these sorts of things that Greenland can produce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of a subtext here, right? Yeah. Gunnar seems to be trying to land a contract with Norway to produce Greenland goods for the broader Scandinavian market. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm actually really interested in that game board made of walrus ivory. I mean, not because yeah. of the ivory, but because of the description of the board. Yeah, I knew. I, I somehow knew you were going to bring this up. Uh, and of I'm, course. I'm glad you did. Yep. Now, this is one of those situations where the translation might create some confusion. We're using George Clark's translation, which says, The board game was both for the old game with one king and the new with two. Aha. Uh-huh. So the game with two kings, I presume, is chess. One assumes. And the one with one king has to be a, some sort of toffel game like mm-hmm. uh, toffel. Exactly right. Give the man a Cupid doll. I don't uh, want one. Clark, I think, is hedging his bets here. I mean, the original Icelandic is much less ambiguous. Uh, that was both for Neftafel and chess. Skaktafel is chess, right? Yeah. So it's not ambiguous at all in the original. Now, yeah, it's not ambiguous. It's, it's literally, it says. Yes, it says both for Neftafel and chess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Why are we talking about it then? Well, uh, I'm currently down a rabbit hole researching Neftafel. Uh, it's officially on the list of subjects I'd like to put together a saga brief about. Oh, uh, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, I'm going to have to be content to point out that this is either a cheat on our author's part or an accidental anachronism. Ooh. Uh, chess Nerd was, alert. Mm, chess was probably not known in the early 11th century in Greenland, but it was definitely known by the time our author is writing a few centuries later in Iceland. Mm. Okay, so the evidence is piling up that this saga isn't much concerned with historicality. Well, yeah, I mean, we are kind of knew that already. Yeah. The, ch- the chessboard isn't so important in that sense. I mean, I accept that this is just an ahistorical saga in many ways. I'm more interested in the idea of a board made for playing either game. Hmm. Uh, and the reason I'm interested in that, by the way, is that chess is played on an 8 by 8 board. Most people know right. this. Kneftafel is always played on a board with an odd number of squares on each side. So what kind of the solution is simple. So either you have specially colored squares or it's chess on one side, neft off on the other. That's exactly what it is. Anybody who's bought a, you know, one of those family game boxes knows about this, where you flip the game board over and there's a different game on the other side. Uh, But I'm fascinated by the idea that there was actually, they were producing these, these boards, if not in the 11th century, then in the 15th. Absolutely. Uh, now, we'll put that aside for now because Gunnar's not just handing out board games and walrus skulls as a business overture. And don't forget the trained polar bear. Oh, and of course the polar bear. I assume it it, it swims and talks like the one we saw in uh, – <laughs> what saga was that where the, you had oh, to fight geez. a polar bear? 
Oh, it's not Halfred. It's a uh, uh, Bjorn Hirdal champion. That yeah, it might be that. Might I, be. Oh, geez. So, now we're gonna make so, fools someone, of ourselves if, by not remembering. Nah. If someone remembers, please let us know. Who? Which? Which saga had the talking bear? <laughs> so Gunnar's looking for some help in dealing with his ref problem. Right. And the problem is that King Harold doesn't like the idea of getting involved in a minor feud in Greenland. Which really, I have to say, yeah, I mean, you know, if you take a second and step back from the saga, that's a pretty reasonable position. It's a long way to go, mm-hmm. and and Harold isn't thrilled that Bard's gone and gotten involved in this foolishness either. He says, yeah. "You should not go to Greenland <laughs> because I consider that you are under no obligation to anger a man you who's done no evil to you." <laughs> you know, leaving aside of uh, this oddly. Uh, uh, ephemeral voice that you've given Harold. That's a really Harold good Hardrada, point. Harold Hardrada, by the way. I know, Harold Hardrada. Is. <laughs> uh, why is Bard so determined to take Ref down? What stake does he have in all this? He, I think it's a hospitality thing. That's mm-hmm. all I can come back to is he stayed with Gunnar over the, the winter mm-hmm. and was treated very well. And so he's kind of trying to repay that, that hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this goes way beyond just, you know, paying back hospitality or offering a little bit of advice. Yeah. And well, it, and since he can't stop Bard from returning to help Gunnar, the king offers him some advice. Well, he, advice? I mean, this goes way beyond advice. It's very good advice from a very wise man. I mean, what it is, is a detailed description of the mechanisms by which Ref's fire suppression system works. Uh, which, you know, how Harold is supposed to know about this, who knows? That's why uh, he talks like that. Right. Uh, <laughs> Ref has built a timber pipeline down from a glacial lake to his home. Yeah, right. Of course. It's a timber pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been obvious. Uh, then he built the walls of his fortress with a layer of hollow timbers inside. Yeah. And there are tiny holes drilled into the wall that can be opened or closed with a set of corks, which have been carved skillfully to fit the holes on the inside. Sure. Probably some kind of, uh, you know, cantilevered arms from a central doohickey thing. <laughs> oh, your <laughs> your, so uh, your architecture degree is coming into play here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sure. The whole thing is attached to a set of mechanical arms uh, that can open or shut the cork arrays to release water whenever needed. See? I knew there were arms involved. Yes, you're very smart. Yeah. Now, the only vulnerable part of the entire yeah. setup is the timber pipes that bring in the water. So, Harold says, if Bard digs a trench uphill from Ref's house, he should be able to disrupt the water supply. Or, you know, that's the king's guess. That's a plausible surmise. It's ridiculous. I mean, look, I'm I'm as impressed as anyone with Ref's ingenuity, but that King Harold is a hell of a good guesser. (laughs) It's almost like he has foresight or something. (laughs) Now, obviously, the sarcasm is getting a little thick here. But really, this is just a plot device to explain Ref's contraptions. Right, because we have to understand how it happened. Yeah, but I am not at all used to thinking of Harold Hardrada. As as this insightful or reasonable person, mm-hmm. it's it's a little confusing. Yeah, it is. Um, so we just have to accept for now that Harold's sudden attack of omniscience is a bit of authorial license. It well, it has to be explained somehow, I guess. Sure. Uh, so that said, can we just take a minute to marvel at Ref's irrigated fire suppression walls? Yes. I, I'm just I'm delighted that somebody thought this up in a late medieval text. Mm-hmm. Take a bow, anonymous author. A ref's just getting started. All right. So Bard heads off to face ref a second time. Don't do it, Bard. (laughs) 
And this time he's bringing a shovel. Ooh. Part 5. Showdown at the Fortress of Solitude. So, John, uh-huh. what's Ref been up to <laughs> while Bard's been cooling his heels oh, in I'm Norway? I'm so glad you asked in that artificial and abrupt manner. Uh, Ref has been sailing back and forth along the Greenland coast, gathering a few supporters and moving his uh, Norwegian toy boat ship to toy boat, toy boat, yes, toy boat. Uh, to a secluded location near his fort. In the spring, Ref brings his wife Helga, their youngest son Thormod, and twelve men to the ship under the leadership of Helga's foster father Thormod. Then he and his older sons Bjorn and Stein return to the fort to wait. He also digs a ditch as wide as the wall of the fort facing the water, leading out to oh, the Oh, I'm sure shore. that's nothing. It's just a, a bit of irrigation for the crops, you know. Yeah. So the obvious question is, why Ref doesn't just sail away mm-hmm. at this point? Sail away, sail away, Oh, no, away, no, 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 no. Away. Please. <laughs> I'll tolerate a great I, deal, it, but... I, I said no puns, but the, <laughs> the, the, the singing and the, uh, <laughs> the music connections... Whew. Now, I, he's, he's got a ship, right? He's got uh-huh. his health. He's got a beautiful mm-hmm. family, a wife with huge tracts of land. <laughs> no? <laughs> and he's clearly planning on leaving, yeah. right? So why not just go? Is that a serious question? R- rhetorical, then. R- rhetoric can be serious. Uh, but I assume you're hinting at the Norwegian complication. I wasn't, no, not that actually. I was thinking about Ref's steampunk fighting <laughs> style. He's he's outnumbered most uh-huh. of the time, and we've already seen that he can fight like any other saga figure, but his real strength is in these machines and the things that he builds. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he'd rather wait and let his enemies come to him, since that means that he can then control the nature of the fight and make use of his True. toys. yeah. Okay, so what, what's your point? Well, I mean, the thing is that now that Bard's involved, Ref has a bigger problem than just Gunnar's what I would call half-hearted attempts at revenge. Uh, Bard mm-hmm. is a friend of the king of Norway. Worse, he's an official representative of the king. His decision to track Ref down and threaten him means that Ref is in danger of making a direct enemy of Harald Hardrada. And that's no one's idea of a good time. Hmm. Although I don't know if the author really right. knows that. <laughs> Based on the Harald that <laughs> he presents. Politically, yeah. yeah. Politically, that's mm-hmm. a good point. But as it happens, we know that Bard's working without Harold's yeah. approval and that Harold actively, he really actively doesn't want him going right, after Ref. Ref doesn't know that. Right? It's not like he's looking to avoid conflict with Bard. Far from it. The problem is he doesn't really know who's after him at this point. He has to wait and see what kind of force Bard and Gunnar bring to bear on him. And he's better off doing that from inside his Fortress of Solitude. I wonder how long we'd go before one or one of us is going to call it yeah. that, really. So back to Ref. Um, huh. He's not back at the fort long before Gunnar and Bard show up with 24 men and two ships, which has got to be a great relief to Ref that he's not facing, you know, the a Norwegian invasion force. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and when he sees them coming, Ref pops up above the wall and greets them. Hello, Bard. What's the news from abroad these days? I'll tell you no news, except that the legs you're standing on in that fortification are well, doomed. that is hardly news. <laughs> he turned into George Takei. Well, <laughs> I, there's only oh so... My. Oh, my. <laughs> no, that's... See, there's a long way to go before we get George Takei. 
Uh, I think the way that you did that hardly news was spot on. <laughs> so technically, this is still Gunnar's quest for revenge, right? Right, which does make Bard a Norwegian <laughs> companion. <laughs> That's true. A, a shirt you could buy at oh, our well. Zazzle shop if you Synergy. Want. Synergy. Um, <laughs> getting that in there. Anyway, as if he's a Norwegian mm-hmm. companion, it does not bode well right. for him. Uh, but don't let me taint your, sure. your listening of this. <laughs> but he's definitely one of the more effective Norwegian companions we've seen. He leads well, well he leads one crew of men up the hill behind the fort, where they dig into yeah. the ground and find those timber pipes that Harold predicted would be there. They sm- yeah, but then he gets sucked into no, the pipe. No, no, they smash the, the pipes. Water goes shooting yeah. everywhere and eventually slows to a trickle. Then Gunnar and the rest of the men set fires against the walls of the fort. The fire suppression system quickly runs dry and the walls catch fire. And Ref, still leaning over the walls, asks, So, who gave you the advice you followed here? That doesn't matter, does well, it? Well, I know that none of you would have hit on this plan if you hadn't profited from the advice of wiser men than yourselves. Whoever taught us our plan, today we shall master you and hang you up where you can overlook this homestead of yours. Or you can choose to burn. Right, and Ref responds to this with a verse. And we know that Ref is not a great poet, but uh, unfortunately yeah. he chooses to, to create verse here. Yeah. He who makes blades bound, the warrior want to rule, supposes our fates in his two strong fists. That's to be expected. But I guess that before he gets to me, the ring giver, craver of sword crashing, will meet with tricks. There'll be a victory ode for me. And at that point, Ref vanishes back into the fort. So once again, we're on the outside looking in at Ref. We don't know what he's got planned. Uh, so we're left to wonder what he's whether he's actually got a plan this time. Right? I mean, uh, meanwhile, Gunnar's men are heaping more f- wood against the wall, and the flames are leaping higher. And, of course, he has a plan. <laughs> and in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have imagined <laughs> what was about to happen. Nor, nor could, uh, could no. Bard, for that matter. Or 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 four. Yeah, would you call this a cunning plan? <laughs> no, no. This one's actually a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sudden crashing sound from inside the fort, uh-huh. and as Gunnar's men freeze in place, the entire wall facing that newly dug ditch falls forward like a giant drawbridge. Well, okay, I mean that's a, that is a plan, and the wall crushes four of Gunnar's oh. men as it lands. And scatters burning logs everywhere. All right, that that is a pretty good plan. And then, behind the wall, we see a ship on a rig with wheels. <laughs> the sail goes up, and the ship rolls down the new drawbridge into the water and sails away. Now that's a ref plan. I mean, this is this is. I just, just see him waving from the. <laughs> see you later. It's just phenomenal. I mean this this is a duck boat. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's better than a duck boat, but yes. Do do people know what a duck boat is? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they have in a lot of cities now, but anyone who's been to yeah. Boston knows about the duck boats. Uh, they're or Philly. They have them in right. Philly. I mean, they're either not they're knockoff or surplus amphibious military vehicles that can drive into the water, sail around, and then drive back out again. Sometimes shaped like a duck, usually just painted <laughs> like one, but okay. 
Yeah. So, all right. So, essentially, Ref has built some kind of ship-sized wheeled uh, cradle mm-hmm. to deploy his ship directly from the fort into yep. the water. You got to respect that well, kind of engineering. Again, I just want to remind everyone that medieval literature is just fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, Goodar and Bard both react as you'd expect. Uh, <laughs> yes, they do. Bard and his crew run to their ship and take off after Ref. And Gunnar searches the fort. He's still not sure exactly what just happened. <laughs> and so he's wondering if there's anything worthwhile left behind. <laughs> there, oh, he's th- sort of th- hopeless, there isn't, isn't he? By the way. There, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hopeless. He's, <laughs> no. Look, put it this way. He's in danger of becoming the sub-companion to his own Norwegian companion. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ref's not out of danger yet. Gunnar may be useless, but Bard is hot on his mm. tail. And Bard has the faster ship. Yeah, okay, so this part might be a little confusing. The ship ref sailing at this point isn't the Norwegian toy boat ship. That one's really fast and ocean-worthy. He's left that one with his wife and her crew. Ref and his sons are sailing a smaller ship, probably a fishing boat. Uh, and Bard can definitely outsail this one. Yeah, and Ref knows that. So he immediately uses a flurry of tricks to get the drop on Bard. He sets his sail down so that it catches no wind, and his son Bjorn is splashing the oars around to make it look like they're making the fastest getaway Mm -hmm. possible. So Bard is fooled, puts up his sails, and has his men rowing their hardest, and he shoots right past Ref's ship. Yeah, and Ref's not done yet. His other son, Stain, leans out of the boat and cuts away part of the ship's rigging on Bard's ship so that it drags around and almost capsizes. And yeah. Ref throws a spear as the ships pass one another, and it nails Bard to the ship's freeboard. Moment of silence, please, for Bard, <laughs> finest of Norwegian companions. So what's a freeboard? That's the entire moment of silence. Uh, so yeah. the freeboard so is the span of wood from the water to the lowest point on the ship where water can enter. Okay, so Bard gets nailed to the low board on the side of the ship, and the ship then nearly keels over. Mm -hmm. So is Bard dead from the spear or from drowning? Uh, Look, he was probably already fatally wounded, but I'm sure being underwater isn't helping. Poor Bard should have listened (laughs) to King Harold. It's a pretty grim death. Yeah. It's so clever, though. Ref ref makes his boat appear that it's Mm -hmm. moving fast. But in fact, is moving very, very yep. slow, so that the other boat will shoot by them with no control, oh, yes. and then he can mm-hmm. take advantage of the moment. Smart mm-hmm. stuff. All right, so that stops Bard's ship in the water. Gunnar and his men eventually join the chase, but Ref uses yet another trick to shake Gunnar's ship. He slowly lowers the sails as the sun goes down, so it looks like <laughs> as the sail gets smaller and smaller that he's getting further and further right. away. And Gunnar sees this and eventually gives up, thinking that they're too fast Mm -hmm. for him, when in fact they're not that far away. And he sails back to land where he learns about Bard's death. And that, shamefully, is the end of Gunnar's pathetic quest for revenge. He returns to his Greenland home, and he never appears in this saga again. Well, good riddance, really. I mean, he's kind of (laughs) useless. So Ref sails off into the setting sun, never to be seen yeah, again. Not exactly. Uh, Ref's got a new problem to deal with. Right? Killing Bard means now he's got to worry about Bard's friend, King Harald Hardrada of Norway. Ref just messed with the wrong Norwegian companion, and yet he's headed for Norway. Part 6. 
Ref the Riddler. Ref and his boys rendezvous with Helga on the toy boat ship, which is loaded down with as much Greenland <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> it's well, I mean, what else do you call it? Uh, I'm hoping he calls it that. It uh, makes it small sound smaller than it really I is. No, but it's 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 look, it's a it's a huge ship. It's just uh, it's modeled on a toy boat. Uh, it's toy loaded boat, down with all boat, the Greenland boat. merchandise they can carry, and they sail off to Norway. And by Greenland merchandise, you mean what kind of products? Oh, walrus goods of various kinds. Yes, yes, yes. It's like all that Greenland has to offer is right. uh, walrus stuff. Right. So you're just going to ignore the fact that they're sailing to Norway. Uh, Norway is where they're trying to avoid. Yeah, that would have been my guess, too. But no, they sail into Norway. Where everyone who sees Ref ship presumably points and shouts, "Hey, I had a toy boat just like that when I was a boy." <laughs> I don't think they're mass produced. <laughs> I think it's okay. All right, so he sails to Norway, uh-huh. the place with the king yep. of the guy that yep. he just killed. Yep, got a whole world out there. Decides to sail here. Yeah, so he he lands in Norway, demands mm-hmm. to speak with Harold, the king of the guy he just uh-huh. killed, and uh, tries to explain his side of thing. Right? Nope. Uh, he's going to rent a hut in Trondheim under an assumed name. That's not a bad idea. He's now known as Narfi, and he's mm. apparently going to be lying low for a while. Can I just say one one more time? Narfi. Narfi. Uh, but the, different Narfi. Yes. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, he's he's going to hide in plain sight, as it were, mm-hmm. living right under Harold's nose. It's a bold plan, I admit that. Why couldn't he just go to, like, Spain or France or... <laughs> It's a whole Sweden. world out there. Join the Varangian Guard, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so Ref, a.k.a. Narfi, and his sons are all trying to fit into Trondheim society. Ref, for example, gets himself a fake white beard and a black cloak <laughs> and claims to be an elderly merchant. <laughs> oh, yeah, this. So can we have just a second to talk about this? Oh, please. <laughs> the beard, yes. Yes, the the beard, beard thing. Yes. Because a man who's been presented as being clever to the point of magical so far is now using a false beard. And I, I just picture those with the little hooks over the yes. ears. <laughs> you know, this is the life of Brian moment in this saga. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And my question that's about disguise, this. Huh? Doesn't Ref already have a beard? <laughs> because he's a man. That's generally the Iceland. default assumption for any guy not nicknamed beardless in the sagas. So is he double bearding it? Well, I mean, this is a white beard. It's probably different color than right. his normal beard. Look, I've got a beard. So do you, sort of. Now, <laughs> how would you wear another beard over your beard without it looking ridiculous? You don't think this conversation's ridiculous? <laughs> Maybe he trimmed the beard down and then put the fake beard over it. Okay. Uh, second question. Why? Who knows what he looks like in Norway? <laughs> You see, to me, that is a better question. I mean, I looked over this text pretty carefully, and the answer is no one. Yeah. No one knows yeah. what he looks like. No, it's actually going to be a plot point later that no one in Norway knows him except by reputation. Right. So this is just Ref the Trickster playing games with people. Uh-huh. He's just entertaining himself by running around with an unnecessary fake beard tied on. <laughs> or. much. <laughs> It's it's a trope of outlaw trickster stories that a costume is going to come into the story at some point, and sure. very often yeah. there's either a disability, disability or uh, or mm-hmm. a beard, right? And we're going to see <laughs> so, him walking around with walking sticks later on. Uh huh. 
So we've already said that this author has a literary bent, mm-hmm. and he just he may be very aware of the expectations of a story like this. Right? Maybe. I mean, that pushes us into some tough territory in terms of authorial intent, though. I it, it reads so much like an outlaw. Tale. I know. I know. And I I just kept waiting, and it, it, he does get outlawed. Yeah. So I think I guess that's fair. Um, but let's just say that he's recording a story that incorporates the tropes of an outlaw tale. Whether he's deliberately introducing them or not. But I'd <laughs> now, that right there, that was a, a lit professor's dodge. Well done. Uh, so <laughs> one day, uh, Ref, his narfy beard, and his sons, Stain and Thormod, attend an assembly called by King Harold. Bjorn, the third why, son. Why go? Why well, even go? I know. Um, he wants to try out the beard. You want to give it an airing <laughs> once in a while. Well, and that's uh, the trickster thing, right? You want to get right. as close to the person that you shouldn't get close to right. as you, possible. You can't resist sort of plucking at it to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so his third son, Bjorn, is left home to keep his mother company. Uh, but his curiosity gets the better of him, and he heads to the assembly as well, leaving his mother alone. And then there's the archery contest. The, <laughs> an archery contest? Uh, <laughs> now, shortly after Bjorn leaves, a man comes to the hut to visit. Yeah, this part's a little bit, I don't know, There's it's a little bit odd. Yes. This this man's name is Sheath Grauni. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a member of Harold's personal retinue. So he's he's one of Harold's, you know, best men. Yeah. He's described as a handsome fop of a man who oh. loves fine weapons and wooing women. You know, there aren't a lot of fops in the sagas. I think it's an underrepresented demographic. Yeah, and as soon as they said he he loves wooing women, I think the the, the translation I was reading said he he loves making, making yes love making love to, to women. Yes, he likes making. I thought this guy is a villainous <laughs> figure right from the start. I know yeah. where this is headed. We we I should don't uh, like it. We should probably just say quickly that this next bit of the saga does include an attempted sexual assault. So Grani begins by claiming that he's there to, as he puts it, very subtly, I'd like to buy a woman. Oh yeah, this is clearly this is clearly a uh, a man who woos women. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna buy a woman. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Helga tells him that he's in the wrong place. Yeah, and and he responds that an old man like Narfi doesn't deserve such a fine young woman like her. Mm. Helga then replies that she'll decide that for herself, and Grony then tries to force himself on her, all in the space of a few seconds. Again, this is not a nice man. No, he's not. I mean, it's it's rare that we have such a clear-cut case of sexual assault in the sagas. It's, yeah. it's something that occasionally comes up in the scholarship, actually. Uh, some people believe the lack of scenes like this is about the preferences of saga writers and readers to kind of gloss over those aspects of life. Um, sort of a PG-13-ing of the sagas. But others think that the legal and social culture discouraged assault or at least assault against the kind of women that a saga writer is usually concerned with. Meaning women of the landed classes. Right. Classism is very much a factor in what gets told or omitted from the sagas. Mm-hmm. And the narrative here is pretty clear about Grani's intentions. Mm-hmm. But it's also clear that Helga isn't putting up with this sort of things. And this is, I was kind of upset by the, you know, the way that the narrative is moving. Yep. And then Helga really redeems the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She defends herself. She wrestles Grani to a standstill, but can't force him out the door. Mm-hmm. And it's at that moment that Ref, who's come back from the assembly after realizing that Helga's been left alone, he reaches the window and sees what's happening. Right. Now, unfortunately, Grani sees him in the window at the same time and manages to escape out the door before Ref can catch him. 
Ref starts after him, but Helga grabs his arm and says, Let Granny flee. He hasn't harmed anything of yours. But Ref pulls away from her and gives chase. Yeah, see, that, that's an interesting line. Mm-hmm. He hasn't harmed anything of yours. Yeah. Now, we could read that a couple of ways. I mean, Helga is either telling Ref that she hasn't been harmed, and therefore Ref has no reason to chase Granny down. Right. Or she's telling him that it's none of his business, yeah. that the harm was to her, not to him. And she handled it herself anyway. So he shouldn't start violent a whole violent cycle over all of this without her consent. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't really considered it. I just assumed she was telling him to mind his own business. Uh, but you're right. And either way, the result is that she's trying to stop Ref from another act of violence. Well, he is de- developing a pattern here. If he he knows is. Him. Uh, I mean, he's... He's charming and clever, but really, uh, his story is starting to parallel Eric the Red's. I, it, 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 not starting to. <laughs> so he, he's jumping from one land to the next, like Eric, killing mm-hmm. people wherever he goes. But uh, you know, but he's already been to Greenland, so mm-hmm. like, where, <laughs> where else is he going to go? But I, I think and this is the difference here. At least Ref has good reasons for the people that he kills. Well, I mean, I'm sure Eric thought he had good reasons too. No, oh. Eric was very clearly a, a brute. <laughs> hey, his neighbor didn't return his benches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if that right. isn't, oh, the nerve. Uh, anyway, so Ref chases after Grani and after a brief chase, catches him against a wooden fence. And Grani, as the author says, tried to talk his way out of it as best he could. <laughs> but uh, Ref and his fake beard aren't having it. No. There's a short fight. And Grani is killed with Ref's signature weapon, that short-shafted spear he carries on him. So, I mean, how long has Ref been in Norway and hiding behind this unnecessary fake beard that doesn't magically fall off yeah. during this conflict? Well, it's it's got wire, you know. It's a uh, <laughs> it's the just... the amount of time is unknown, but it's uh, supposed to be a very short time. Uh huh. So Ref really is a bit of a, a, a an Eric the Red kind of serial killer, isn't he? Yep. Uh, and once he cools down, he realizes that he's got a problem on his hands. Duh, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange moment. I, and granted, let, let's be fair. Grani was attacking his wife. Sure. So almost in every Oh, yeah, no. Occasion. The question is not whether he was right to kill him or not. The problem is the circumstance, the way that he went about it. Yeah. So Ref just chased Grani de- through the town, mm-hmm. killed him on the street, then tries to hide the body. He covers <laughs> it with, with something. Sure, because right? after you kill somebody in the middle of a street... <laughs> <laughs> well, and then nobody saw nothing. And and then this is the thing that I think is interesting mm-hmm. about him. In all the other cases, he kills someone and then just kind of goes away. He never, right. he never really reports it. So, right. in my opinion, even if people know that he did it, it's still murder because he doesn't follow the legal obligation sure. of reporting what he did. Yep. In this case, he decides he's better off reporting the killing and avoiding the charge of murder, which. So suddenly, yeah. So he's behaving erratically or nervously, you think? Nervously, I guess. Yeah, this yeah. this clearly wasn't part of his plan for fitting in in Norway. Well, I killing mean, one of Harold's guys. You know, he's killed another one of Harold Hardrada's hearth companions. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure a tied-on beard is going to fix this one. Yeah. So Ref returns to the assembly where Harold is still speaking of political matters to the crowd, and Ref from the back of the crowd, interrupts mm-hmm. to say, My Lord King. Hang on. If you're going to give Ref's entire statement, we should first say that it doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh, this is going oh. to sound like gobbledygook, and it's supposed to. 
well, I, I don't think I'm going to. Why don't since you're our uh, our resident ref, why don't well, you give all right. this gobbledygook? All right, but remember that this is that ref is now uh, attempting to be an old man. My lord king, sword house granny and I had a soup understanding today when he told my wife he wanted to buy a swamp. I lady-pigged him through the wall's eye. Then he searched it thoroughly, and then I searched it thoroughly. Then I nest-balled him, and he many-horsed at that. Then I cloak-stuffed him, my lord, and at that he tarred like a ship. And then I wild-swined him, my lord, to a wooden fence not far off, and at the end... I counterpained him. Hmm. And with that, wow. Ref turns on his heels and leaves with his sons. <laughs> What's interesting about this is, aside from all the craziness of what, whatever that means, <laughs> he said all of this yeah. while everyone else was listening to Harold. Right. Oh, yeah. No, Harold never stops talking during this whole thing. He right. just so, says yeah, he, he tries to interrupt Harold. But basically what he's doing is in the background mumbling this right. riddle. But we've seen that kind of thing before, right? I mean, remember uh, Gunnar Hamunderson in Yal Saga uh, whispering uh, to uh, Hrut that the summons that he's just spoken was a real one and was legitimate, right? That yeah. it's all that matters is that you say it. doesn't matter how many people hear yeah. you. As long as someone heard you say it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so he it's, said it. It's he's such an interesting it. one. And and what what's really interesting is so going back to like is he willing to admit his murders and right. do the legal thing or not? This is such a like a loop. He's looking for a loophole here. He's oh, yeah. in the room. Yeah. He's talking when every mm-hmm. someone else is talking and nobody's right. paying attention to him. And then he gives this crazy riddle that doesn't right. make any sense. Um, but technically, if you understand it properly, <laughs> he's doing what he's supposed to do. Right. And we should take a second to uh, to recognize our translator here. We're relying yeah. on George Clark's translation of the saga. And I cannot imagine how long it must have taken to render all the puns and wordplay in the original Old Norse into readable English. Yes, absolutely. Take a bow, Dr. Clark. This is impressive work. Okay. Uh, so on to the riddle. Now, yes. to me, this is the point when Ref Saga starts to really feel like a thouter, uh, a traditional mm-hmm. short story. Andy, what does a thouter usually consist of? It's a, uh, go back to our thouter introduction episode. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it takes a while to explain. But yeah. yes, I see I see your point. This saga takes place mostly outside of Iceland. Mm-hmm. It's about a trickster. Mm-hmm. And the climax of the story is that the protagonist is walking into the Norwegian court and making the fool of the king. Yep. So... As far as I'm concerned, that is a pretty good description of a lot of the Thouter. And this riddle is obviously the centerpiece of the thing. Right? Uh, Christensen, yeah. to go back to our critics, uh, claims that these layers of riddles are Ref's most famous trick. Yeah, and it's hard to understand how this is more famous than the hidden rolling ship behind the collapsing flame retardant fortress wall, because that's where <laughs> my attention is drawn. But. Absolutely. Uh, but we're supposed to be thinking literarily here, right? Yeah. Uh, Christensen even says that some of Ref's circumlocutions have become so established that they can be heard in the colloquial Icelandic of today. Is that true? I can't recall ever coming across one of these in modern Icelandic. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, modern Icelandic listeners out there, can you confirm or deny the popularity of Ref's Riddle? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like the Icelandic equivalent of Cockney slang. Is that right? Uh, but Harold somehow eventually parses out what all these phrases mean. Uh, and I think we'll spend more time in the Judgment episode on all the details of this nonsense. Uh, for now, let's just take one phrase. Well, how about the the first sentence? Okay. Sword House Granny and I had a soup understanding today when he told my wife he wanted to buy a swamp. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Sword House is easy enough because we know Granny's nickname is Sheath Granny. Yeah. Low level riddling, really. Okay. Well, how about a soup understanding? And suddenly we're in final jeopardy and we're lost. (laughs) This is a pun that doesn't readily translate. Um, No. The word in Old Norse is salpsather, uh, which um, Clark renders as soup understanding. But Harold is supposed to work out that the soup is Icelandic musa, which is a kind of soupy drink. And so the line means musa understanding. (laughs) I was so tickled when I saw that <laughs> misunderstanding. Yeah. Obvious, really. Yes. But was it supremely obvious, Andy? <laughs> Don't be a ch- No, no. I almost did it. <laughs> you got to. Come on. You got to. It's great. No, we got to finish the saga. Let's move forward. Oh, come on. You got to do it. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Don't be a chowder head. <laughs> we got to finish this saga. Come on. Fine. Consum may one remind me of where we are. This is just getting stew pid now. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. So, all right. <laughs> I'm so mad. Le- leaving aside this bisque encounter of our wits, I'll just quickly add. What does that even mean? <laughs> a bisque encounter? The brisk encounter of our wits. It's a Shakespeare line, dude. Read a book. <laughs> Not, not a bisque. Of, I mean, I, I get where you're going here. And I I just want to run out back and hide under the woodpile. Uh, I'm very pleased about this. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't even make it one episode, you bastard. <laughs> the whole no pun thing is all... Uh, I'll just quickly add that a swamp is a moor or a moor. And so Granny telling Helga that he wants to buy a swamp refers to him trying to have sex with Helga somehow. And you you think clear, my puns are terrible here, by the way, but they aren't nearly as bad as the ones in this riddle. Yeah, yeah. And, and just so everyone's clear, Harold is the one that kind of teases all this out. If you're yes. thinking that John is is, is some brilliant new, no. it's literally it's just right there in the text. Right, Harold says, yes. I think. Yes. He meant amour. Um, yeah. So the upshot of this is that it's a convoluted set of riddles. Right. And Harold somehow, while he was talking, heard this from the back of the room and remembers uh-huh. it in great detail. Yes. <laughs> and he's able to work it out and explain it all to the very understandably confused crowd. But by this time, Ref, his sons, and his wife. And have, the beard. And the beard have all made their escape. And it's a good escape. Ref now steers his ship to Denmark, where he tells the Danish king Sven everything that's happened in the saga to this point. Sven reluctantly agrees to allow Ref to stay in the kingdom under his protection, provided he agrees to sell all the Greenland wares in his ship in Denmark. Mm. 
And it's at this point in the story that the author casually mentions that Ref's ship's hold contains piles of walrus hide ropes, ivory, furs, and five polar bears, and 50, count them, 50 <laughs> live hawks. Yes, 15 of them white, I believe. Uh, these are all goods that would have been known from Greenland exports. Uh, it's one of the stranger subtexts of this saga. Right? You mentioned it before, this fixation on Greenland trade goods. Yeah. Uh, but polar bears and hawks, I mean, that's got to be one ripe ship by this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would certainly make rowing a more popular job on board. <laughs> hey, I need, I, need, I need 12 men to row and one to clean out the hawk and polar bear cages. <laughs> I wonder if polar bears get seasick. <laughs> <laughs> now I get to think about that tonight. Thank you. And, and speaking of which, and how. Just think of the sound that they make when they're a sick, seasick polar bear. <laughs> you try to sleep. You're under the under the bill. You're like trying to sleep, and you're just like, oh, oh god, the, sa- the sound of the polar bears being sick to their stomachs. Uh, <laughs> now, how's this for a segue? Ref has to be up at night, thinking about how King Harold took the news of Granny's death. Remember, he didn't stick around to see what the king had to say after that announcement. Yeah. Well, of course, Harold's annoyed. <laughs> it lightly but he can't take revenge if he can't find his enemy uh-huh. there's so many bearded men to choose from right of course he spends a while searching in norway for the old man narfi but no one knows where he vanished to which i mean in fairness does help to retroactively justify ref's silly fake beard sure but then bard's ship finally returns from greenland and harold learns that ref also killed bard yes oh, i that's, shouldn't say also yeah, but yeah but, and Harold learns that Ref also killed Bard. Yeah, so that's two of Harold's close friends Ref's killed. It's not great. Yeah. And Harold now declares Ref an outlaw in all of Norway, which admittedly isn't surprising. Uh, and he gives a man named Eric, who's the brother of Sheathgrani, he gives him 60 men, a ship, and the job of going to Denmark and killing Ref. Uh, who, incidentally, is only now, near the end of the saga, called Ref the Sly for the first time. Yeah, this narrative gets a little rushed and loose towards its conclusion. And this this part's a good example. Mm-hmm. When exactly did Harold learn that Ref was in Denmark? I mean, I, we could retcon it, but yeah, this is just an oversight by the author. No, I think spies is, everywhere, right? Well, right. I think this is supposed to exactly exactly that. It's supposed to be a consequence of Harold's men searching for Ref. Uh, and, but there's never a hint that they know where he's gone until Harold suddenly commits what's, to what's essentially an act of war. You mean by uh, sending 60 assassins into another kingdom on a mission to kill a man under the Danish king's protection? That kind of well, thing? Well, right. You know, just, just as a as a example plucked from the, the nether, uh, this the phrase international incident does come to mind. Uh, yeah. But in the event, it turns out to be more of an international farce. Eric makes land in Denmark where he is immediately approached by an old man with a white beard and two walking sticks. Yeah, I would be checking that beard for wires and glue, Eric. (laughs) That would be smart. Unfortunately, smart is not a word that springs to mind when describing poor Eric. Yeah. It's important to say that Eric doesn't know what Ref actually looks like, but he has been told that the man was last seen wearing a fake white beard and pretending to be an old man. Right. Why is Ref... Still wearing the fake right? white beard. It's the one thing that anybody knows about him. But like yeah. I said, this is a, Eric is not smart. None this of this whole, sets off any alarms. 
This whole sequence, which we can deal with quickly, is another example of what we were saying before. The saga ends with these set-piece tricks that feel more like Thatter stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and part of that is that Ref is up against Nor- a Norwegian king and his agents. Yeah. As a literary trope, that's that's very much a short story thing. Right. And and if we needed more evidence that this is a highly formal literary text, we've got it. I mean, yeah. I know right. at this point, I know mm-hmm. I'm not in a, a, a family saga. Right. Right. Um, Why are we so, covering this again? Right. It's an excellent <laughs> question. So, because it's awesome. Uh, yeah. So briefly, Raff, who now calls himself Sigtrig the Norwegian, offers to lead Eric's crew to Raff in exchange for 60 ounces of silver and his pick of the ship's valuables. He then brings them around a headland and goes ashore with two of the Norwegians. He leads them into the forest, where they're immediately captured by Raff's sons and his friends who have been with him since Greenland. Then Ref throws off his fake beard, which, again, why was he wearing it in the first place? And he leads his men across the headland where he meets up with two longships sent by King Sven. They sail back around the headland and attack Eric's ship. Uh, you didn't uh, mention how many men are in those two longships. 200 men. Yes. In those longships. 200 guys. Against the 60 that they yeah. brought from Norway. Now, you'd think that this would be a moment for a big climactic battle scene that would be all laid out for us, but uh, uh, that is not what this saga is about. No. Uh, a helicopter just... comes flying in. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Um, you would th- you would think that, but we're just told that 50 of Eric's men are killed, and he and the remaining 10 are captured. Which, I'm going to go ahead and say this is really good for the saga's body count. Sure. I mean, uh, John... We had 1.2 Croffin kills, right? Yep. Yeah, and he dropped 50 just, dead bodies in there all We of a just got a jump yep. of 50 dead bodies yep. that are actually counted. Now, this is going to be another Greenland saga thing. It's going to totally throw the, the numbers off. Yeah. Uh, so I do think this is a deliberate choice by the author, though, too. I mean, the lack of detail, not the, the high body count. Ref's entire life has been about treating armed conflict as a kind of last resort. As opposed to the first resort of so many other men in the sagas. <laughs> Except for maybe Njol, I suppose. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, it's not that Ref can't stab his enemies, right? I mean, he's, a, he's a deft hand with a sawed-off spear. But he acts like it's a bit of a letdown to actually have to fight people when it's so much easier and more fun to outsmart them. Yeah. Well, he's outsmarted Eric. Although, I, you know, I have a dog that I think could probably outthink Eric. <laughs> Don't you have two dogs? <laughs> yeah, but one of them's a real dope who... <laughs> Pees when you bend down to put his leash on. You know? Well, so fair enough. I wouldn't, I wouldn't back him in a war of wits with a houseplant. <laughs> I like the uh, the idea of Eric being nicknamed Eric the Houseplant. <laughs> uh, so as we say, Ref's not interested in, in any more killing. He offers to spare Eric's life as compensation for the death of Grani and sends him home in a smaller boat. He keeps Eric's longship and he later gives it to King Sven as a thank you present for the support. And that pretty much is the end of the story, which yep. really ticked me off. Yeah, it's a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah. Ref is one of our rare saga figures who doesn't die a violent death. He lives in Denmark for many years under the name Sigtrig, which uh, mm-hmm. I, the king says, uh, the name Ref is not known here. <laughs> you will now be called Sigtrig. Right. 
Um, so in his later years, Siegfried goes on a pilgrimage to Rome and visits the shrine of St. Peter. And, and inter- way- incidentally, I was this is why I was wondering, and it isn't there, but I I parsed through that part of the text looking for the information about this because he gets renamed Siegfried. Yeah. And then we get this sudden reference to him going on pilgrimage to Rome. And I was looking for an indication that he was baptized ah. in that moment. And that's why he was renamed. But it never is, comes up. It's never Is Denmark it's never Christian at this moment? It should and, be. I mean, we're, and what if, moment if are we, we are, actually talking about? Right. I mean, if we're talking about the reign of Harald Hardrada, we're talking about the mid-11th century. And so, yeah. yes, Denmark should be Christian. Hmm. But there's no – I don't think there's anything like that going on here. I think he's just kind of – effortlessly at some point he became well, Christian over the course of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He does get a naming ceremony because he's yep. given a gift at that moment for sure. his naming. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's no indication that it's a Christian naming mm-hmm. kind of thing, but yeah, he does eventually convert obviously. Right. Um, and on his way home from his visit to Rome, he, he takes ill and then dies and he's buried. It says at a French monastery, right. which is another first, by the way, I don't think we've had anybody end up buried at a monastery yet. Yeah, I think that's right. That's our that's our first monastery. So with Ref resting in peace in France, we come to the end of his saga. All too soon, in my opinion. I'm sorry. Mm. But we are not done yet. We've got a lot of judging to mm-hmm. do. And, and you, I think, promised to explain the rest of that ludicrous riddle, which will take up most of the judgments episode. Oh, I, I know. Um, but we'll get through it as quickly as we can. But judging yeah. the saga is going to have to wait for another episode. I mean, this has already gone on way too long. Yeah, I'm getting tired, and uh, so we will be back in a little while with our our judgments of this episode. Right. Yeah, we've also got a couple of other episodes coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, we have the second half of our Ragnarsson special episode, and an interview with Kat Yarman, the archaeologist and self-identified Doctor of the Dead, who will be talking about solving a 12-century-old Viking mystery in a mass grave in Repton, England. Yeah, those are going to be great fun to do. But in the meantime, please tell us what you think of this steampunk saga. Is Ref a bigger serial killer than Eric the Red? (laughs) Are you buying Ref's amphibious duck boat as a medieval vehicle? And can you think of anything crazier from other texts? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a nickname worth celebrating anywhere in this thing? And and who the heck should we pick as Thingman once Ref's taken? Yeah. Assuming Ref gets out of outlawry. Oof. I I really, really don't want to go second this time. And don't forget that we've got our contest running for the next some period of time that we haven't determined. (laughs) Next little while. Can you, without spending money or risking life or limb, help us advertise Saga Thing to the world in what is yes. not at all a viral marketing campaign? No. Uh, and please, don't spend any money on this. And don't do anything that will get you into trouble or shame your clan. The prizes are t-shirts, for Pete's sake. <laughs> t-shirts, which I admit, will show off your torso's advertising potential to its best advantage by draping it in a stylish Saga Thing logo. Ah, lovely. Just send us photographic or other evidence of your effort. You can email us at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com or you can join in on the conversation on Twitter, where we are Saga Thing Pod, or on Facebook, where we are Saga Thing Podcast. Or you can check in on our WordPress blog, which is www.sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Or you can roll a bowling ball down a gutter into a bucket, raising a gloved hand that tips a fan toward a toy boat which crosses a bathtub, that hits a buzzer that startles a pigeon which flies away, carrying a letter to us in a small tube attached to its leg. Hmm. 
That assumes that the pigeon was trained to come to <laughs> us, but I'm going to well, let that one slide. I'm assuming. You think, <laughs> you think I, that's the biggest problem with that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually, Is I who do. trained the pigeon? All right. It's late, John. I'm tired. I'm full of mead, and I, I think it's time to send this toy boat off to dreamland. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. It's fun, and we'll be back soon. Bye for now. got to turn my vibrator off here hello (laughs) (laughs) i meant my phone